Good morning, everybody, and praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you did not come to church today. Whether you come here, you're tuning in to Gospel Saving Church on our website or on our SoundCloud uh, website or whatever. I hope you didn't go to your own church to be entertained. Because that's not why we're supposed to come to church to be entertained. We're supposed to come to church to seek God, learn of His ways, follow Him more, or come to begin to be a follower of Him. So praise God. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time here, listen to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer. So if you guys want to join me, we have ask the Lord to bless our hearts and our minds so we can understand and then do and hear His things and then do them. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us another beautiful day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for giving us your holy and awesome word. Thank you so much. We, uh, David said your word was like a light into his feet and a lamp into his path, Lord. And, and that is true, Lord. Spiritually, Lord, we are in darkness, Lord, without you. We are wandering around in the darkness and bumping into walls and falling over and falling into ditches, Lord God, when we're, when we're without you. So, Lord, thank you that we have your word Thank you that we have your, your wisdom. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Because the only way we, anyone can understand your word is by your Holy Spirit. That's what your word says. So thank you for all of those awesome and mighty things. And thank you, Lord God, that you give fleshly man an opportunity to come to know you, the spiritual God of all creation. We love you. We praise you, Lord God. I ask you to help us understand these words today. As again, it isn't only your Holy Spirit that helps us understand the things of you. And we ask you, Lord God, that not only we'd understand them, but Lord, that you'd help us to make application to our lives with the things that we hear. Because so we could be hearers and doers of your word, Lord, not just hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Thank you so much, dear God. We praise you and we love you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to be in a brand new chapter this morning, Acts chapter 21. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. I'll give you a moment to open your Bibles, but if you've been with me for any length of time, you know I teach verse by verse, so it shouldn't be hard. We ended off in chapter 20 last week, and the end of chapter 20, and now we're 21, verse 1 through 6, so that should be either a turn of your page or, or just an open up of your Bible. You should have your marker there anyway. Title of the sermon today, Do You Test the Spirits? Do you test the spirits? Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. You can listen along with me, or you can read along, whichever you'd like to do. Praise God. Let's read. Now it came to pass that when he, Paul, had departed from there and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos. The following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. Verse 2. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went abroad and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there was a ship that was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, which would be the seven days, we departed and went our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. We knelt down and prayed on the shore. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship 
and they returned home. Last week, we read the last part of a section of a very long goodbye from Paul to the Ephesian elders for he was leaving, remember, God was calling him to go on this last journey of his life, and he had to say goodbye for he was going to see their faces no more. It was a sad goodbye for sure, but like oftentimes, Paul had to move on for for God was calling him to move on. Today, as I already said, we open up to a new chapter, Acts chapter 21, as well as a new chapter for the Apostle Paul and his life. He's on the road again, or on the ocean again, and this travel will cover the first part of the message in verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to skip pretty quickly through these first three verses, as there is so much to talk about from verses 4 through 6, especially verse 4, and we're just going to skip through verses 1 through 3 because it's a lot of technical information and you know as I've you know maybe said before as I've known before technical information in the Bible is not really that exciting there's not really all that much we could say about technical information so if you guys want to join me verses 1 through 3 I'm going to go through them again just giving some tidbits of information just to go along with it verse 1 again Acts chapter 21 now it came to pass that when we had departed from them remember as I just said the Ephesian elders, that would be the Ephesian elders that Paul just gave his long goodbye to, verse 1 there, and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos. So remember there, they were in Miletus, that's where he had called the Ephesian elders to himself, and that was a coastal city of Asia. And it was in Miletus that he called the Ephesian elders to himself. Here in verse 1, we see him and his travel companions hop on a ship and cruise right down the coast of Asia to another coastal city called Kos. They they stayed uh, the night, which according to what Luke writes next, and the following day, two roads. So there we see that they stayed that night. And then the next day they went to Rhodes, which is another coastal city of Asia, which is one uh, one on the southern tip of Asia. And from there we see that he says they went to Patara, which is another southern tip of Asia. So he's just going along Asia on the coastal western side, and he's curving around east, and he's going along the southern kind of southern tips of Asia, and he's kind of heading that way, heading east to to uh, uh, Syria and to Jerusalem, for that's where he's headed. Finding a ship, they say, verse two, finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia. Phoenicia was an ancient civilization composed of independent city-states located along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, stretching through what is now Syria, Lebanon, and northern Israel. So I, I looked for Phoenicia. It's very funny because I did a little study because I didn't know I'd, I, Phoenicia, and I have a map of Paul's travels, and I was like, I don't see Phoenicia, Lord. And, and as I prayed and I, I, I researched it, Phoenicia is actually a, was a whole group of cities that kind of was the whole coast. It was a whole bunch of cities, city-states, as what the the article that I found uh, said. It was a whole bunch of city-states that included Israel, and it was kind of like the whole coast, the coast that Paul was traveling to east. And then, of course, he said there that they were going there because that's where they were headed. So then there, rest verse 2, when we went abroad and set sail, verse 3, when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria. So from Asia, going through the Mediterranean Sea, as you're, as they were going along, Cyprus, which was an island off the coast of, uh, I, Cyprus was an island off the coast of Syria that was on their left, and they were headed for Tyre, which was kind of included in the whole area of the Phoenicia area that they were headed to. And there they landed at Tyre for the ship 
was there to unload her cargo. So that's the end, finishing up their sailing adventure in the coastal city of Tyre, which is about 150 miles northwest from Jerusalem. Paul will take more voyages to get to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was a little bit south of Tyre, like I said, about 150 miles, and it was just inside the coast. Jerusalem didn't, it didn't, wasn't on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea as Tyre was. So there, that was a quick skip through the first three verses with just a little few details to add some quick spice to that because, again, it, it was just technical information. And there's not really much you can say about Paul jumps on this ship and he goes on this ship and he goes from this city and he goes to that city and he, hallelujah, hey, we're done. What, what is there to say? There's not too much to say. Not too much to say when you're talking about technical information. Uh, I love the verses that are informative and exciting, but technical verses generally aren't. They're just informative. They're technical, but not very exciting. Now, although they aren't very exciting or interesting, the one good thing about them, here's the one good thing that you have about technical verses, is they lead to the ones that are interesting, and they lead to the ones that are full of discussion, and that's what we see today in our section of Scripture. We see verse 4. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today talking. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our clothes today talking. We're going to talk about 4, and I hope I hope I help you see how the title fits in and testing the spirits. So Luke writes verse 4. Start with me. They're there entire, remember. They've made the travels. They've traveled the, the Mediterranean Sea. It's been a while. Uh, and finding some disciples, he says, Luke writes, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Now, now, just exactly why is this verse interesting and full of discussion? Just why? Well, I'll tell you, but before I do, putting one through four together so far so we don't have to go back, we read there that after a long voyage across the Mediterranean Sea from Asia, they find some disciples, so some followers of Christ, some Christian brethren, and they stay there seven days. Uh, imagine Paul has been traveling for a while. He was just in Miletus. He had been traveling a while before Miletus. He needs some time to rest. Seven days rest and tire with some, with some disciples. That's awesome. And praise God that they let him do it. You know, they were close. They were tight-knit. Christians are supposed to be that way. So not too much interesting info in that idea either, but there is a very interesting and huge point that makes for, again, most of the rest of the sermon and a topic for lots of discussion. Look at the very last sentence in verse 4. Uh, verses are not one sentence. In case you didn't know, verses are sometimes one or two or even three sentences or maybe even longer, but it all depends on the way that the those that were translating the Bible and those that were setting up all the, you know, the verses and, and, and chapters back in the day. That wasn't part of what the original writers did, was they didn't give chapters and verses, but people later did. But the last verse in verse 4, last, excuse me, the last sentence in verse 4, look at what they say there. This, and this is, this is, it blew my mind. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Now, wait a minute here. They just told Paul what? <laughs> they told him, and I'll break it down, not to go to Jerusalem. And Luke wrote there that they told him not to go to Jerusalem through the Spirit, which is the assumption that, that is true that, the whole, that this is they're talking about. They said this through the Holy Spirit of God, meaning that 
the Holy Spirit of God through them said to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Why is that interesting? Why is that? A, why can we talk about that for a while? Because what they said doesn't line up with what we've learned from Paul already concerning his going to Jerusalem. And this is a huge problem. What did Paul say of his going to Jerusalem? Remember Acts 20, 20, 22, and 23? We just read it over the last few weeks. And see now, he says, Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul stated to them that God was sending him to Jerusalem and that he was bound in the Spirit to go. What does this bound in the Spirit mean? Bound in the Spirit is being bound by God's Holy Spirit. And this means that God was basically impressing upon Paul his super powerful, you know, divine sovereign will that he go to Jerusalem no matter what he wanted to do, practically giving Paul no choice. God laid the same kind of impression by his Holy Spirit on Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet, upon speaking his words to other people. Jeremiah 29. Then I said, as Jeremiah says, I will not make mention of him, speaking of God, nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. You see, Paul had the same bind by God's Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Paul had to go whether he wanted to or not. Now, Paul was a follower of Christ. He wasn't worried about his life. He didn't care about when he lived or when he died. So he was going to go no matter what. But basically, the binding that God puts on, this is a sovereign bind. And God's saying, this is what you're going to do. And there's no choice. You're going to go do it. Bam, that's it. Was God forcing Paul to go to Jerusalem? No. Paul had a choice to go or not to go, but if he had chosen not to go, God, God just like Ezekiel or just like Jeremiah there, would have made his 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 a fire so deep in Paul's heart that Paul would have been like, Oh, I gotta go, I just can't live anymore if I don't go. So no, he didn't make him go, but he kind of, you know, made it to where he he'd want to go. He'd he'd kind of just have to go. So Acts 20, 22, God, through his Holy Spirit, bound Paul to go to Jerusalem. And then in verse 23 of Acts 20, Paul tells the Ephesian elders what kind of trip it'll be. Verse 23, Paul said that the trip was going to be very painful, very tough, using the words, chains and tribulations were awaiting me. Now, back to my point today about this interesting verse with the huge, powerful point and in-depth discussion. So, so by what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, saying that God's Holy Spirit told him to go to Jerusalem, uh, the trip just simply being very difficult, painful, chains and tribulations, that's a lot of heartache. And by what some of these disciples say, what they tell him in Tyre is that he wasn't supposed to go to Jerusalem, supposedly by God's Holy Spirit, we see a huge problem. Comparing what was said by both Paul and the disciples of Tyre, God's Holy Spirit seems to be saying two contradictory things. Seems that Paul's hearing God's Holy Spirit say go, and the disciples of Tyre's hearing God's Holy Spirit saying, no, you're not supposed to go. Paul believes himself to go. He thinks he's heard God tell him go. Disciples of Tyre believe they've heard God say, hey, don't go. 
So do you see the interesting point as well as how big of a discussion this could be? Would God's Holy Spirit really have said contradictory things like this? What do you? Is, is that God? Does, does this sound like God and the things that God would do? Is God uh, confusion? Does he, does he make for confusion? No. Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, which means then that God is the author of, of everything lining up, of making sense, of logic. And that's a, God's a God of logic. And you know, if God is not the author of confusion, then who is? Well, believe it or not, there are two. Two that make for being the author of confusion. We know one of them. Well, that's the devil. And do you know the other one? A lot of people, well, we don't like to look at ourselves because, you know, oh, it's never our fault. But, you know, who, who, who else's spirit makes for confusion? Ours. We get confused. We have a spirit, too. There's a Holy Spirit of God. Uh, there's a demonic spirit of the devil and all his followers, all his, those that are on his side. And then there's our spirit. And we kind of each have this voice inside our head. God's Holy Spirit speaks to those that are His and speaks to those that are lost, trying to get them to come to Christ. And, our, and the devil's, of course, speaking to God's children, trying to get them to go off course. And, and the devil's spirit's trying to get you know the lost to stay lost. And, of course, our spirit's going, oh, you know, what do I want to do today? Oh, I think God said this, you know, da, 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 da. So we got two spirits that can be confusing and only one spirit that can tell the truth. Now, judging by what both Paul and the disciples and Tyre say, as well as what we know about God and Jesus Christ, someone is confused, and it is not the Holy Spirit of God, and it's not the master of the universe. Either Paul's confused, or the disciples of Tyre are confused, but someone's confused, and since they both mention the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, they are confused by the one that causes spiritual confusion, which would be a deceiving spirit from the devil or the devil himself, but not God. Uh, I would have even thought it was them, one of those, but I definitely know now by what they say that it was definitely a demonic spirit from God. Someone isn't hearing from God and they're not, title of the sermon, they're not testing the spirits. John the Apostle, one of the big three that personally walked with Jesus Christ, said, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Christians, doing this is so important. Please understand what I'm saying. Doing this is just super, super, super important with your walk with God. Some examples of people not testing the spirits and, and demonic spirits coming in and trying to deceive people and, or get Christians to be deceived again or to help the deceived to stay deceived. Things like this have been said. I don't have to go to church. God told me he's got a special deal for me. I don't, you know what? He's, he's got a, he's just, just me and God. He said, I don't, you know, on the side, Hey man, you're, you're good. Church is not really what I want. The church is today. Ah, you know, and I used to work with a coworker that told me that one. Hey, uh, Hey, uh, you know, God told me, Hey, you know, you know what? He, uh, she's a woman. Yeah. The Holy spirit. Oh yeah. It's a, she, it's a woman. It's a, she, uh, how about this one? The Bible isn't relative in our day and age when topics come about about homosexuality or, or homosexuality and their marriage, women pastors, you know, Jesus Christ being the only way to God. Uh, that's one that we hear today. The Bible isn't relative in our day and age and our like our in our social standards. 
another one, Jesus Christ is just one of the ways to heaven. Uh, and, and according to God's word, all these statements have come from people that either have never been saved or fallen from the grace of God back into sin and have forfeited their eternal life because they're terribly not spiritually discerned. How about this one? Here's another big one. Here's another huge one that has dramatically affected my life. This is one of my least favorite ones, ones that I think uh, that I see, think we see here with Paul and the disciples of Tyre. Someone walks up to you at church, and in Jesus Christ's name, they say, hey, man, hey, you know, I believe God said this, and I think you're, you know, God's telling me you're supposed to be doing this, when, in fact, God hasn't told you anything on the matter, and you've never heard anything from God or any spirit at all saying, hey, you're supposed to do this, or, or hey, God, you know, or hey, man, God, God told me you're supposed to help me out, man, I'm I'm hurting this week, man. I need, I need help paying my bills. You know, God told me you're going to give me some money. Oh, he did. Wow, that's, that's, that's interesting because God, I would have thought God would have told me because, you know, I, I never heard anything about you needing help and the Holy Spirit never spoke to me about anything. Um, or another one, hey, man, you know, you're this, that, and the other thing. God showed me that you're really not saved. God said that you're this and you're that and say a whole bunch of bad things about you. Say God said it. This one happened to me one time at a, with a sister pastor at church. This fellow emailed me and told me that I was living in darkness. Darkness, according to 1 John, is someone who's not even saved. Yet, I was his leader, one of his leaders in his church for years. He also said that I was all about glorifying myself, yet all I did was serve others. Well, he really beat me down, writing some really horrible things about my character and even, as I just said, my salvation. It was, it was very shocking. And so with accusations like that and his position in the church, at first I was pretty well crushed because I took his words to heart and thought I was the one that was deceived and the things that he said were true and accurate. So I went to God, crying out to God, God, what's wrong with me? How come this is happening to me? What did I do? I, am I really deceived? Am I really this? Am I really that? Oh my goodness, Lord God, I can't believe, you know, oh, this guy sees these things in me. And in my crying out to God, God told me just this one thing. Well, have you tested what he said? And I, and I said, what do you mean tested what he said? Well, God said, have you taken... The accusations that have been laid against you, and have you held them up against like something that you can count on as truth, like a standard? Like have you taken them to those whom you love and those whom tell you the brutal, honest truth and to those that know you the most and that have known you for years and that know you inside and out and you spend hours with them? And I said, well, well no, God, I, I never did. But see, I, didn't, I wasn't testing what he heard that he... Uh, the spirits or whatever that he heard, I wasn't testing those things. Well, and God doing what he told me to do and, and testing, I went ahead and I went to my wife and I went to my eldest son and I went to my father and I went to my ministry partners and all those that I had known for years and years and years that had served with me on the mission field and, and been to my home and eaten dinner with me and spent, you know, dozens and hundreds of hours with these people. And I asked them, here, can you read this? Can you please tell me? This has pretty much crushed me. I don't know. Is this me? These are some accusations that were written against me. Well, after a complete and honest evaluation of the things that were written of me, all of the accusations that, they, that were supposedly from this fellow, what he heard and told me, they're all with one resounding answer, 
was that the man was crazy. It wasn't me. The man had lost his mind. They don't know what he was talking about. They knew me, and they don't know anything that they said he said about me, and that was nuts. So, so I went to have a meeting with this fellow, and I just simply asked him one question. Where did you hear these things about me? Where did you, how did you, did somebody tell you? Or did, did, did one of my guys come to, did somebody from the church come? How do you know? Where, I, I, I've been thinking, I, I don't think this is me, but tell me, how, maybe you know something I don't. And what he told me just knocked me back in the chair. And, and how it relates to the message was, he said that God told him that it was all true. God was the one, hey, God told me, you're this and you're that and you're that. Well, I proceeded to tell him that I wasn't going to receive anything he wrote about me because of my independent investigation upon my own self with others that were outside of me, with those who knew me well, and, you know, those who wouldn't, wouldn't slight me, those who wouldn't deceive me, they wouldn't just tell me something to be nice, uh, the ones that knew me really well. Well, what was the outcome of the matter? He got tremendously angry with me, telling me that I shouldn't have ever brought his accusations against, against me with those uh, with others, basically. The outcome didn't end well as he would not admit that he simply really didn't hear from God because he didn't test the spirits that told him these things about me. So he claimed that God told him those things about me that simply, and you know what, verifiably were not true verifiably means that they i could prove them by real solid real 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 proof not just some words that i thought i heard in my head i didn't just get the words and go oh yeah you know what that's 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 baloney you know god you said i'm good so i'm good i i took the words to heart then i tested the words so what i did was i tested the spirit that he heard and found that the spirit that he heard about me was not true. Uh, conclusion, he didn't test the spirits, and which means he didn't hear from God, but he would never admit that. Really, he heard from the devil or one of the spiritual hosts of wickedness that was out there to destroy me. Uh, my, the ministry God had given me included uh, dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds upon hundreds of conversations with those that were lost in sin but thought they were correct in Christ uh, throughout the year. And, and we really hit home and we really made an impact at the time on the lost in the Dallas area. And of course, you know, the devil doesn't like that. He doesn't like it when his kingdom is threatened. So of course, uh, he worked through this fellow who was time deceived. I don't know if he still believes this about me or not, but uh, anyway, the end, of, the end of the chapter there wasn't good, but the end of the chapter, I, I ended up to coming to be doing what I am now. So praise God. Uh, you know, he, he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But getting back to our message. So that assistant pastor didn't hear from God's Holy Spirit. Same as I believe the disciples of Tyre didn't, according to what they told Paul in Acts 21.4. But how do I know that I'm right about the Apostle Paul? How do I know that, I, that, that the Apostle Paul was really hearing from Christ and really hearing from God's Holy Spirit, and it wasn't the disciples of Tyre that were right and Paul was wrong? Well, because we have Scripture, verifiable, solid, unbiased proof that shows that Paul really did 
hear from God. The, the scriptures tell us in Acts from chapters 21 to 23, we won't get to it today, but end of chapter 21 through 23, that Paul ends up going to Jerusalem. He, he doesn't listen to the guys. He doesn't listen to the disciples of Tyre. And that terrible things happen to him, just like God's Holy Spirit said that they would. God's Holy Spirit said, chains and tribulations were going to come upon you. Hey, and it, and it actually happened right there in Jerusalem, just like the Holy Spirit said. And in the midst of this huge mess, after two attempts on Paul's life had been made, and a, a pretty much standard uh, set of being arrested, as Paul was kind of after the first attempt on his life, we have the divine. We have the real deal, Jesus Christ, Lord of all creation, stepping in in Acts 23.11. If you want to turn there, you can. Acts 23.11, confirming Paul's path to going to Jerusalem. And Jesus says this, Acts 23, 11, But the following night the Lord stood by him, that'd be Paul, that'd be the Lord Jesus Christ, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, now you don't get any stronger testimony that Paul was indeed supposed to go to Jerusalem to testify of Jesus Christ despite the terrible time he'd have there while he was trying to win people to Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and that he did endear, indeed hear from God's Holy Spirit unlike the disciples of Tyre who did not test the spirits and tried to stop Paul from fulfilling his mission from God. The Lord shows up in Acts 23, 11, and he says, pray, and he, basically he's, hey man, be happy. You're doing what I told you to do. Now, if Paul was never supposed to go to Jerusalem, and he was only supposed to skip Jerusalem and go to Rome, well, why did Jesus Christ affirm him there and say, be of good cheer. Hey man, cheer up. It's okay. Hey, don't be down. Remember, I told you all this was going to happen. And just like you did here, hey, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to do it for me in Rome too. You're going to tell people of me in Rome too. So thankfully, the disciples of Tyre didn't win in Paul's life because this was God's will for Paul that he actually go to Jerusalem and preach there and be arrested and actually go to Rome. And Praise God that the disciples of Tyre didn't try to, over and over, to press Paul excessively to not go as some Christians do later on in this chapter. Christians including Luke, his own travel companion who was writing the book of Acts, they all try to talk him out. I'm pretty sure we're going to get there next week. They all try to talk him out of going to Jerusalem, which was God's calling on his life. Look at how the matter ends with the disciples of Tyre and how they just leave him alone. Look at verses 5 and 6. Just kind of quickly float through them. When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. So Paul gets on a ship, heads on, the disciples of Tyre just simply, basically, in Christ-like manner, allow Paul to stay there seven days uh, to what? As I said earlier, to rest up from his previous travels and 
I do believe, get rest for what's coming upon him in the end of Acts 21 through 22 through 23. It was like, this is right now, like the calm before the storm. Paul was heading into the storm, and Paul got to rest for these seven days. And again, the disciples of Tyre don't excessively push him. They just say, hey man, don't go, you know, don't go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit says so, and, but then they just let him go. They pray together. They don't you know, hold any grudges. They just move forward. He will make, Paul will make two more stops before he gets to Jerusalem. And during one of them, he meets up with some others that again, try to dissuade him from going. Uh, but that's again for next week. They, they don't claim to speak by God's Holy Spirit, but they don't try to talk him, but they do try to talk him out of going and fulfilling God's mission for his life. So Paul, Paul does not listen to the disciples of Tyre that tell him supposedly through God's Holy Spirit to not go to Jerusalem. And he pushes on for Jerusalem anyway. He knew that God had, by his Holy Spirit, bound him and bound his own soul to go to Jerusalem despite the rocky, terrible, hard road that he was going to have to face. Paul tested the spirits because, well, I mean, number one, we never get God coming to Paul and telling Paul, hey, you're going to go to Jerusalem. But Paul knew God's voice and the way God kind of showed up, the way Christ kind of showed up in Paul's life. I don't doubt at all that Christ himself appeared to Paul in, in some way, his own fashion, hey, showing him the people of, of Jerusalem that they needed Jesus, whatever. And that, But he knew Christ's voice. He knew God's voice. And he knew better than to not obey Christ's voice. And he knew what it meant to be bound in the Spirit, which is something that kind of... Those that are really close-knit for God and God, those that are God's using a lot, God will do this binding them by His Spirit, and then they kind of just know, I got no choice. It's, it's like I got to do it like, like Jeremiah, or there's this burning in my heart, and I just have to do it. Uh, the disciples of Tyre, on the other hand, as much as they loved God and as much as they loved Jesus Christ, they thought they heard God's Holy Spirit, but they didn't test the spirits as to what they heard before they just blurted out what they did and trying to stop Paul from going on his journey. They failed to make sure that they were really hearing from God, just like that pastor did to me in that one church that I was in the one time. Christians, you must today... Decide to test the spirits when you think that you hear something from God. Paul gives us a warning in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, when he, he was talking to that church about those that were pretending to be apostles and pretending to be disciples and pretending to be prophets of God. And he references their master because these false apostles were, were, were pretending to come in or they, were, they were coming in and they were pretending to be real Christians. And of course, they were just doing that to deceive those that were there. So in verse 14, he says this, and no wonder that they do that. No, and no wonder, and I threw the do it in there, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan himself, his demonic forces, those that those that are on his side in the demonic realm, they try to trick you. They'll, especially if you love God and you and God uses you, they'll try to trick you and to thinking you hear something from God, and, and of course, you know, we're, if you're a spiritual creature and you've been born again in Christ, then you, you, you do have a spiritual side to you now, and that spiritual side to you does hear things of the Spirit, hears things of God. And Satan and, and his spiritual companions can and will tempt you with false and lying ideas and thoughts uh, that he will throw at you, and in some way he'll, he'll 
he'll, he has some way to make his voice sound so close to God, so close to God's Holy Spirit that he just is so convincing sometimes. But of course it's not, but of course you got to do what? You got to test the spirits to see if what you're hearing is really from God. And if you remember correctly, this is not something new. The devil did it with Jesus Christ in in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, Luke tells us. And during those 40 days, it says that Satan tried to tempt him. Satan then came to him at the end with three tests. And, And what did he do? He threw God's word at Jesus, God's word with a little twist. He threw God's word with a little twist at Jesus. And what happened? Well, Jesus knew the word of God. He tested the spirit. That, I mean, he knew that the devil was in front of him, but he tested the spirit of the words that the devil was telling him. And he, Jesus knew, hey, these aren't from God. There's a twist there. And so, of course, Jesus Christ you know, defeated him. But, but think, Christians, those of you who love Jesus Christ out there, who have been born again, if Satan himself is going to deceive him, is going to try to deceive you, making himself seem like he's from God and the things that he puts in your mind. And if he's going to go in here in Luke and in Matthew and in Jesus' ministry, before he started his ministry, he's going to try to tempt and test Jesus Christ himself, who was the word of God, how much more will Satan not try to trip us up? you got to know if he's going to go after the master, he's not going to spare the flock, Okay. You go after the master, and if you can't win, well, you try to get around the master, and you try to slip into the flock, and you try to go behind the master and around inside the master, and try to, and the, and the master will allow it because, of course, you know God gives us free will. Will we test the spirits? Will we listen to him? Will we love him? Will we, will we, you know, kind of focus on his word? Will we be, you know, looking at his word and not just hearing what we, you know, hearing what we hear? And remember, also, this, this actually happened. Peter fell to this same thing. Peter was very much like the disciples of Tyre in Matthew 16, 21 through 23. Remember, uh, the Bible says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. But verse 22 Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it for you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter was hearing Jesus, and and a spirit came into Peter's mind. A thought, a a, a spiritual thought came into Peter's mind. This is your Lord. He's he's the master of the universe. He's not going to die and be crucified again. That's ridiculous. So Peter, you know, being a dumb sheep, not testing the spirits, kind of like, you know, the pastor was with me and kind of like the disciples of Tyre here were with Paul, Peter just jumps up and blurts out and tries to stop Jesus from what God had him to do. Well, verse 23, Jesus knew who Peter was hearing from, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. See, Jesus knew who Peter was hearing. Peter, Peter heard Satan. And he says, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So Christians, there is, again, a supernatural spirit from God Almighty, truly, but there's also a powerful spirit that comes from ourselves, you know, us, and the devil. That we each have our own spirit, and we each have our own kind of spiritual voice that's in our head, too. You have to be aware of that and and what you're hearing spiritually, that it not necessarily is from God's Holy Spirit. It could be from you 
or it could be from the devil. If you are a true child of God, do you test the spirits? Do you make a practice of it? And if you do not, and you just believe whatever you hear and whatever pops into your mind, then you're kind of in some trouble. God doesn't want you to be that way. God wants you to test the spirits, make sure it's Him. Do you just believe and listen to every word that you get in your heart and mind and take it 100% as as if it's from God and Jesus Christ and run with it? This is a terrible thing to do. And that's why many, many believe that God's word is flawed. That's what they've heard. That's what's that's what that's the spiritual lie that they're hearing in their minds. Or, or many believe, hey, God, hey, he's a female. Or you know what? He doesn't even have a gender. He's not male or female. He's both. Heard that? Uh, many, many say they've listened to the wrong spirits. Hey, Christians don't have to go to church. Hey, you know what? This church today is not even the church back in the day. But if you read the Bible, it really is. The corruption, it's here today, but it's only because strong men of God haven't stood up and said, no, no more. But corruption's in the church. In fact, Paul says we're in the great apostasy right now. Oh, we got another one, another lying spirit of the devil. The Bible isn't relevant uh, relevant to our day and age. And, And so homosexuals are okay, and they're saved, and then they can be pastors, and so can women. And, and, and even saying things that, like the pastor said to me, these are all deceiving spirits that are not of God. All these ideas have come as a result of people not being careful to test the spirits, to test, to see if they are from God. And they just believe in whatever they hear in the, in the spirit, just believe in they are from God. But the things that they're hearing are not. Now you say, Pastor Ed, how do I test the spirits? I mean, really, you, you, I know you said test spirits, test spirits, test spirits, but how do I test the spirits? Well, you know what? I'm so glad you asked. To start, you have to start using some common sense. When you think you hear something in the spirit that you believe might be from God or that you're questioning, is that really from God? Ask yourself these four questions, one being the biggest of them all. Number one, does what I'm hearing take me away from the work that God has given me to do? I often, when I'm preparing my sermons, or, or I'm, writing, uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of writing a book right now, I'm almost done with it, but I often, when I'm writing a book, or I'm, I'm doing, writing my sermons up for the week, I often, as I'm sitting there, here in my mind, as I'm sitting there, and I'm really getting good, and I'm really getting into it, and I hear those voices in my mind, hey, you know, you need a break. Hey, oh, you know, you've been working so hard today. Why don't you just lay your head back and rest? Oh, hey, you did want to research that. Remember that thing that you needed that you needed to buy from that store? Why don't you go in and do a price comparison right now and see what... Now, all these, all these voices in my head, do you really think that they're from God? Well, I don't really think so because if I'm in the midst of doing something for God and a voice comes in my mind and says, hey, do this, do that, do this. Oh, what, what, where'd you leave your wallet? Oh, what, what did, oh is, is that so-and-so okay? I better call him and make sure that they're okay. I don't know what's going on. Do you think that they could be from God when you're right in the middle of doing something godly and then you hear that little voice in there? I don't think so. Because God, if he's called you to do a work and you're working for God, then you ought to work for God until you're finished. 
all the things that you hear that want to pull you away, those are all things that you can do in your whatever, 22 hours of your day in your life that you're not serving God and uh, whatever ministry you're involved in. Like I used to do street ministry. And we used to go out on Friday nights and, and we used to go out for, I don't know, you know, two, three, four, five hours on a Friday night. And well, during that midst of that time, I'd be out there doing street ministry and, you know, we're talking to people and we're getting into great conversations and praise God, it's going well. And, uh, you know, during it all in my mind, oh man, you're, you're so thirsty. Oh, why don't you just, why don't you go into that restaurant over there and sit down for a little while and get some refreshment. The, yeah, these people are going to be here all night long. False. False, 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 false. That's not from God. If you're doing something from God, God's going to give you the wisdom on a hot night like we used to go. Bring a bottle of water. If you're thirsty, take a sip. You don't have to go stop the word of the Lord and go into a restaurant. You can go into the restaurant Monday through Sunday, or, 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 or excuse me, minus Friday, or minus Friday night, and you can go do all the refreshing that you want. If you're involved in an activity for the Lord, serve the Lord. Don't let the devil pull you away. Test the spirits. Number two, second question. Does what I'm hearing bring God glory? Does what I'm hearing God tell me to do or what I think God's telling me to do, does that bring him glory? Number three, if you're told to do something or you think you might be hearing you know, something, ask yourself, is that what Jesus Christ would do? Would Jesus Christ do this right now? Would Jesus Christ, you know, uh, uh, go buy that excessive thing that he doesn't really need, that you're hearing that you need? Would Jesus Christ do that? Uh, Oh, say this to them. Oh, say that to them. Oh, say this. Would Jesus Christ say those things to that person like that? Is that something that would bring God glory? Is that, is that something that Jesus Christ would say? Is that a godly thing? Is that a loving thing like Jesus Christ would say? And if you just ask yourself those questions, uh, when you hear think you think you hear things in your mind in the spirit, you, you'll find that many of them are the devil or his little followers or his little those that are on his side in the spiritual realm that they're just trying to trip you up and they're not really from God. And, and here's the last one, number four. Most importantly, when you think you hear from God in the spirit, ask yourself this: Does what I'm hearing line up? with the Word of God, the Bible? Or doesn't it? Does it line up with God's Word, or does it go against God's Word? Now, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, the Word of God is 100% your absolute authority, hands down. You don't have an authority greater than God's Word, and nothing goes against it to you if you really love Jesus Christ. So again, number four, if you hear something that you think is from God, I want you to please, Christian, ask yourself, does it line up with God's word or does it go against God's word? And the only way you're going to know that is when you hear something, you got to go to the Bible and say, all right, God, what does your word say in the Bible? Unless it's something super obvious. God's word is accurate and correct and, and by solid proofs 
that can be verified, and it's something that we can stand on for truth. It's rock, rock, rock solid, verifiably rock solid. I'm not going to get into the ways in which it's rock solid today. You can go on our, our SoundCloud page. I have preached many a sermon on how we can trust the Bible because we can verify it with verifiable, solid uh, proofs, but I'm not going to do that today. Today's focus is for God's kids. God's kids, we must be all about testing the spirits to see if what we hear in your inner man, woman, or child, if it's really from God. Our, the greatest way, number four, does what you hear line up with the Word of God, the Bible, or doesn't it? And if you don't know, or it's pretty obvious, if you don't know, go to the Word and find out. If you do know and it's pretty obvious, then dismiss it. In fact, you can even say the words, Get behind me, Satan, for I know that's not God. Get away from me in Jesus Christ's name. Christians, please test the spirits and don't be like the disciples of Tyre or that assistant pastor that attacked me and tried to slip me up from doing God's work years ago. Please, please, please test the spirits. Now, for those of you who didn't know this huge fact about one of the things that I just said about God's Word being the ultimate authority, you must know that the difference between whether someone holds God's Word, the Bible, as their ultimate authority or they don't is one that is of eternal consequences. If you hold God's Word as your authority, you're going to follow it, you're going to listen to it. It means eternal life. And if God's word is not your ultimate authority, it means eternal death. If someone holds God's word as their ultimate authority, they, number one, they obey its words and follow Jesus Christ and obey his words and his teachings, hands down, 100%, and they live their lives the way Jesus Christ told them to live them. Number two, if God's word is your authority, they believe and accept Jesus Christ's teachings and God's words to his prophets and God's social standards and follow them as their truths and they don't compromise and they don't live in opposition to them. If God's word is your ultimate authority, you know that being part of a local church is something of God. Going to church is of a major importance to God for you. Why? Because the Bible says so, and that's it. And the Bible speaks of a local congregational church with a leader, with leaders, with somebody that's in charge, that gets paid, that speaks from a pulpit, that leads a congregation where they tithe to him or they give gifts to him, what, or not to him, but to God of the church. You know that's something that's important of God. Number two, if the Bible is your ultimate authority, you know that no homosexual can be a pastor. You know that no homosexual is saved as a homosexual. If you're saved, or if, you, if somebody is truly saved, God brings them out of homosexuality because the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, the same as thieving or lying or stealing. All of those sins practiced, the Bible says, sends people to hell. So that means homosexuals can't be pastors or leaders in church. The Bible says, if you really love Jesus Christ and you're following him, that no woman can be a pastor over a church. The Bible says if it's your ultimate authority that you're going to strive to live a holy lifestyle, abstaining from cussing, using swear words, getting drunk, watching movies, or listening to songs with foul language in them, you know, let no unclean thing proceed from your mouth. The Bible says that if it's your ultimate authority, you're not going to believe or even agree with abortion. 
right? Because that's murder. And you're going to believe that the Bible is your ultimate authority, that Jesus is the Christ. So he is the only way to heaven. And yes, that means that if you're a Muslim or you're a Buddhist, or, or if you think you're a Christian right now, but you think, well, all people are going to end up in heaven all together. You know, Jesus is just one of the ways, and most good Muslims are going to be saved, and good Buddhists are going to be saved. Then you just rejected Jesus being the Christ, so the only way to heaven, and the Bible cannot be your ultimate authority. And, and there's no compromising of these ideas. If you are still truly still abiding in Jesus Christ, if you are a true Christian and on your way to heaven when you die, the Bible will be your ultimate authority. Yet, if you're not, then you'll just consider the Bible just a good book. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy its reading it maybe, but when it comes to those major points of what God says, you're going to have major disagreements. No, that's wrong. No, Jesus Christ can't be the only way to heaven. No, no, no. What pastor, women can be pastors. Oh, there's nothing wrong with homosexuals. God, <clears throat> God loves everybody. And that is true. God does love everybody. But that doesn't mean that everybody is okay in God's eyes. Y- yet it's really funny. And God told me to put it in the sermon. And I, it was just so ironic how it happened. It was, I, I believe it was divinely given to me here. The other day, a friend of mine texted me and, and told me about a conversation that he had with a former co-worker of mine uh, that thinks he's right with God, thinks he's saved, but according to the Bible, not, not my opinion, <clears throat> excuse me, but according to the Bible, he's not. He's not a child of God. He's not saved. He claimed, as they were in conversation about me, he was saying some things about me, like, oh, I'm, you know, crazy because I, I believe in one way and, you know, I'm, I'm critical of other religions and this, that, and the other thing. And then he claimed to my friend, he said that he, his wife, and friend all believe that the Bible is their ultimate authority and they go to it for answers. Yet, in our many past conversations about religion, his own religion, Catholicism, which pretends to be a Christian religion, but it's not. And our conversations about the Bible and Christ's word in the Bible, he completely disagrees with a large majority of the Bible's absolute teachings. Teachings like the Bible says, don't pray to anybody but God and Jesus Christ. Through God, Pray to God through Jesus Christ is actually what the Bible says. Well, this man believes that you can pray to Mary, she's dead, and Peter, he's dead, and John, he's dead, and, and they believe that you can, you know, pray to any of the saints, and yet that's not what, the, what God's Word says. This man openly professes that he, he believes that all people, no matter if they're just good people, whether they're Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus, that they're all going to go to heaven, you know, because God loves everybody. Yet, the major, again, the major point of the Bible says Jesus Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And that means that I don't, no matter who you are, if you're not coming to God through Jesus Christ, then you're not getting to God at all. And he completely disagrees with and throws out these major points of the Bible yet again, He said that him, his wife, and friend all believe that the Bible is their ultimate authority and that they go to it for answers. Well, there's only one 
There's only one reason that this can be, and that's because this man is deceived. The devil has deceived him into believing these false spirits of these things that are going against God's written word, which is infallible. Now, being honest, the Bible says that you can't have it both ways, people. You, you just can't. You either make a decision to believe and follow Jesus Christ and the Bible's teachings 100%, and make the Bible your ultimate authority and believe what it says and accept what it says and you don't argue against it or you don't. If you choose to not believe and follow Jesus Christ and the Bible's teachings 100% and, and, and you choose not to make the Bible your ultimate authority, then God tells you, this is in his word, in his ultimate authority, his Bible, that you're not his friend. That's what he says, not me. He says, you're not his friend because those words are his. He gave those words. He said, these are the words that you live by. These are your truths if you belong to me. But if you reject those truths, he says, you're rejecting my authority, my word in your life. And you're rejecting my direction for your life. And because you do, he says that you'll... you. Since you reject him, he'll reject you, and he'll not let you into heaven after you die. And it's really just that simple. It really is. I don't know where you're at with this last part of the message, or the Bible being your ultimate authority, or I don't know if you're like my friend. Uh, I love him to death. I pray for him every day. Uh, I pray that he gets saved, that he, his eyes get open to these truths. But I don't know where you're at, but I know where God wants you to be. God wants you to be surrendered to Jesus Christ today. He, that means you make a decision to make Jesus your Lord and you make a decision to follow him and submit yourself to the things which he says. You make a decision to obey his words, to follow his words, and to believe his words as your ultimate authority and the ways in which you live your life. That's what he says. And if you're not there now, God says that he's not your friend because you reject him and his word and his son. He says that he desires you to make a decision for him and his word and his son because he loves you. And he died for you on a cross. And he doesn't want you to be separated from him today or for eternity. But his word says that this decision is up to you. He loves you and he's calling you right now to himself. But this decision, whether you come, whether you obey, whether you, whether you decide to submit your life to the teachings of Jesus Christ and to the Bible's teachings, or you have your choice to whether you can walk away, won't you please come today and won't you surrender to Jesus Christ and be saved and decide to follow him and have peace in your life? Not looking for peace through money or through your job or through your wife or through your friend, Come and get peace with God today, real peace through his word, peace. And make him and his son, Jesus Christ, and his word your ultimate authority. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and for your compassion and the way you call out to people, Lord God, even like my friend that I used to work with at, the, at that lumber store, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to call them. Whether they hear this message or not, Lord God, whether they'll listen to it, whether they, whether they hear your voice or they hear your voice and then they reject it, Lord, I pray you keep calling them. 
And I pray you call them to yourself and call them to Jesus Christ and call them to your word. God, and I pray they'd stop believing in man's religion and start turning to you and make a decision to submit their lives to Jesus Christ and decide to submit their lives to your word and have your word and hold your word in their hearts as their ultimate authority and believe it and accept it and stop rejecting it and so rejecting you. Please, God, turn their hearts to Jesus Christ. Help them to see the truth. Thank you, Lord God. I love you and praise you and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name.